Good morning, church. Uh, so we have John 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let your hearts, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you so much for um, a day that we get to gather as family. Um, Lord, in this, in this season of, of life that's coming up, and usually we get so busy, Lord, I pray that we can just uh, slow down and focus on uh, the peace that we can only find through you. Um, Lord, I pray that you just speak through Lance today um, and give us as a church body eyes to see, ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts to believe. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I figured we'd save some time on the front end by just reading one verse because I do have four points. You're welcome. I know you all signed up for a bonus point today, so there you go. Uh, so here we are. We're in Advent, right? And the journey of Advent for us is really one of hope, of longing, and of waiting uh, for the coming of our King. That's what Advent means. It just means coming or arrival. And so he came as yet a child and will come again as yet a King. And we find ourselves in this tension-filled middle where, where Jesus has come, and he will yet come again. He has established, or at least started his kingdom, and yet it is not yet here in its fulfillment. And so we're in this tension-filled middle part of history, which has gone on for now almost 2,000 years. And if you're like me, uh, we can lose perspective, we can lose hope, and ultimately what I can see around us, and I think you can see it too, is that we are in an age of anxiety, Whereas last week we talked about hope, and I think there's a little bit of a remedy there in regards to this age of anxiety. This week's uh, theme, the second week of Advent, is on peace. And if we're in an age of anxiety, and Jesus came to bring us peace, and a very distinctive measure of peace. Not as the world gives you peace do I give you. No, no, this is different kind of peace. And we find ourselves, Christians alike, find ourselves in an age of anxiety. And I think there's just this little beautiful picture of it that I found this week. I was at Blockhouse uh, throughout the week. That's usually like my secondary office. And so I was there and uh, saw an unoccupied table with two books on the table. And on the top, and I just this is just where my brain goes, uh, on the top of the, the top book and the bottom book were in this order. Top book was The Anxiety Cure. Bottom book was the Bible. And I thought two things. Number one, wrong order. And number two, same book. Same book, because the Bible actually is the best anxiety cure. Uh, and we can, we can read other books on that. I'm not dogging that. I don't think that was the intention of the person to be like, I don't like the Bible. After all, they were carrying it and did bring, bring it to read and study. That's not what I'm saying. It's just my thought was that it's a really good picture of where we are today. Bible-believing, Jesus-following Christians who are still yet struggling with anxiety. And Jesus has come to give us peace. Unlike the world, he wants to give us peace. And then he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Something's off in our experience and what Jesus has come to give us. And I'm asking what? I said this in August. I want to reiterate them for you today. If you have them memorized, please bear with me. But I gave you some statistics on where we were as a culture in regards to the prescription for antidepressants. From 2015 to 21, uh, it has increased 
For those that are aged 17 and under, that includes a 26% increase. And check this, as we checked it in August, that includes from the ages of 5 to 12, a 40% jump in the prescribed antidepressant. Now, am I against antidepressants? No. It may be God's mercy for you to take an antidepressant for a time. But it is yet a light healing for our soul. It is yet only a band-aid for a deeper issue that clearly is in our hearts and troubling us. And so it will not heal. It will help you, but it will not, does not have the power to heal. And so we've got to make we got to reconcile some of this with our experience and what's going on. Antidepressants may be God's mercy for you for a time, but again, they just will not heal what's going on in your heart. And I hear this, and I see this, and I experience this. And here's what I know just as a pastor. If these statistics are true, number one, I think they're probably underreported. And number two, it means you're hurting. It means I'm hurting. It means this experience, though we want it to be different than what it really is, it's still really hard. It's still really, it actually is the narrow road which Jesus said would be difficult. Did you know that the, the road that leads to life, he described as hard, as difficult? And we experience that. And the difficulties of our sufferings, the difficulties of our circumstances, sometimes cloud out the greater promises that God has given us through his scriptures. And so I want you today, just like the angels are declaring, like hark the herald angels sing, I want to be a messenger and a, and, a, and a heralder of the good news for us today to be reminded of the truth that Jesus really has come to give us peace. How do we navigate a world where more people are anxious than ever and losing hope? I think first we realize that we don't experience anxiety because we lack peace. We experience anxiety because we worship control. See, that's the idea around anxiety. We want to control the results of whatever we're about to run into. We got a big meeting tomorrow that makes us nervous, aka anxious, because we don't know if what work we've put in is going to yield the results that we would like to control. And that's the root of all anxiety is that we are worshiping, idolizing our own control on life's results. And you know what? That is a big fat mirage in the desert of life. You and I both know it that if we try to control anything, our anxiety just goes up and up and up. It doesn't go away. And so perhaps the best news that we can have is that Jesus has come to provide us peace. How does he do that? By controlling the outcome from the beginning. You see, he has won the war against sin. And he brings us into his family. And that's the greatest battle that will ever be fought on your behalf. And so he says, have peace. I've come to bring you peace. So Jesus tells us there's a kind of peace which is distinguishable from worldly peace. And this is an echo of really what Jeremiah and Ezekiel say in the Old Testament. I know that, um, well, I'll just say this. Um, so history will tell us with Israel um, is that they are God's people. It is God's nation on the earth. 
uh, especially in the Old Testament times. And yet, they became so good at sinning that he was going to use their enemies to judge them, a nation called Babylon. Okay, And he was going to use their enemies to judge his own people, and by judging them, he was going to destroy the kingdom of Israel, and he was going to take them out of their country and into exile, and you have to go, man, sin must have been rampant in order for God to finally go, you know what, you won't listen to him anymore, i got to send you to your room. And more than sending to your room, i got to spank you and discipline you because you're my people. And it says in Jeremiah, it says again and again in Jeremiah and in Ezekiel, that God's people forgot how to blush. God's people no longer knew what it meant to be ashamed of your sin. And so they forgot to blush. They don't know how to blush anymore. They were deliberate in their sin. They were proud of their sin. They celebrated their sin. They did all the things to show, yeah, yeah, I'm free, I'm good. And God looked at that and he's like, not going to happen. Not going to happen forever. I might, might deal with it patiently for a while, but at some point I will execute judgment. Now, that's the context behind this idea of worldly peace and true and everlasting peace. And Jeremiah picks up on that and he says this, because false prophets were coming into Israel and saying, don't worry about that guy, Jeremiah. He's depressed anyways. Don't listen to him. You think he has, like, the bat phone to God? Look at his life. He's not joyful. I can give you some good news. Don't worry about Jeremiah, because Jeremiah was going around saying, destruction is on its way. Judgment is about to come. You guys have lost your ability to blush. And so Jeremiah writes this in 6.14. Those false prophets, woe to them, he says, for they have healed the wound of my people lightly. They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. The world around us is yelling at us, peace, peace. It's fine. It's all going to be okay. You just, you just go and relieve yourself with a little sin, with actually some, maybe some really good things. Go and pursue some good hobbies. Just lose yourself in work, or better yet, just... Continue to fund Jeff Bezos' trip to the Mars with all of our Amazon purchases. It'll fill you. It will help you. And there is a light healing in those things, is there not? If there wasn't, you wouldn't get that dopamine hit. There is a light healing. It does give you a little bit of what you want, but it is not lasting and it's shallow. Peace, peace, where there is no peace. You see, there is a light healing permeating our culture and our churches. Our greatest threat of, uh, uh, in, in all of this isn't Hinduism or Buddhism or Islam. Our greatest threat is light Christianity. It's light healing. It is peace, peace, where there is no peace. A worldly peace instead of the peace of Jesus. And if we're not careful, we'll become a people who are satisfied with the blessings of Jesus without the Messiah himself. See, that's, that's the war going on in your soul all throughout the Advent season. Am I, am I just satisfied with the sidewalk of the narrow road where I enjoy God's blessings? Am I satisfied with that easier walk? Or is there something beckoning us to the middle of that difficult narrow road with Jesus as long as Jesus is there? Jesus isn't on the sidewalk. 
He's only on the road itself. And if we're not careful, we'll be walking with a limp, walking with crutches, and start to count that as a victory when God is calling us to let all of that go and walk with him hand in hand. That's where true peace lies. All right, so what does this peace look like? Uh, and how is it different than worldly peace? Uh, again, four points for you. One, and more, most importantly, Jesus' peace prioritizes your relationship with his father. This is found in Romans 5, which will come up on your screen. But there's a false peace that every other religion that will tell us that if you do good works, Jesus will be satisfied with you. Had a conversation recently with someone in a different uh, church, uh, and, and that church doesn't preach a gospel of grace, but a gospel of grace and works, which means that there's no gospel of grace. The gospel of grace and works is no gospel, is no good news at all, because you cannot be good enough to get God's affection. Otherwise, there is no point for Jesus to have come. So there's this false peace that I can do some things and make myself feel better with God, or you pretend that you're really not that bad, that, you know, after all, I'm doing my best here, Lord, and and it becomes a superficial and sentimental sentimental half-truth about a loving God who will wink at sin, and that is not the case. He will not wink at our sin. Every sin demands judgment. And we have to understand, where will the judgment be paid? For our works? By our works? Or by the work of Jesus? True peace, on the other hand, is established by Jesus. It says, Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord. In Romans 5, 1, it says this. Therefore, this is true peace. Since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God our Lord, Jesus, uh, through, through our Lord, Jesus Christ, right? We have peace with God through our Lord, Jesus Christ. Colossians 1 said that you were once alienated. You were far off. You were hostile in your mind against God, and you did evil deeds. See, if you don't believe that part of who you once were in Christ, and I don't mean that, oh, yeah, I believe that I used to do that. No, you still do these things. We're still in rebellion against God, and yet God looks at us with beautiful grace because of Jesus who purchased a reconciling relationship with his father through his death. And here is the best news. I don't know about you. I'm very hard to shop for. That's what I've heard over and over again. My birthday's coming up this week, and then Christmas is right after that, and everybody in my family is like, what do we get him? What do we do? I don't know. Just give up. Just give me some cash and be fine with it. Or nothing at all. That'd be fine. But Ultimately, here's what I know. There's the fear of whatever they get, I'm not going to like, and I'm going to take it back. And here's the good news. God has purchased you with his son, and he loves you. He's not going to take you back and be like, "Mm, I didn't realize this one didn't have batteries. I didn't realize this one didn't really work right. I didn't realize this one had these flaws or these hang-ups or these difficulties. I didn't really realize that that one still wanted to look at porn. I didn't realize that that one still just, mm, just really just, you know, just doesn't add up. And he knows all of our hang-ups. He knows that we don't add up. And he purchases, uh, purchases us regardless and brings us in and holds us close. Now, I'm putting this before you because this is the true bedrock of peace. If you keep reading in Romans 5, just check this out. We're in an age of anxiety. We don't know what to do with our circumstances. We want to control the end before it starts. And as a result, we suffer. 
And so Paul says this in verse 3 through 6. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. See, this peace that we have with the Father allows us, fuels us to rejoice when the outcome doesn't go like we'd hoped. It rejoices in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts, sprinkled, just given a little bit, no, no, poured out like a bucket into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. What is Paul saying? Because we have peace with the Father, because we will not be punished in eternity, because we have peace with him, because we have been purchased by Jesus' blood, it has been applied by our trusting in that purchase, we can suffer and go through trial, but they lose their sting. Because our perspective is changed. It's no longer about making this life peaceful and controlling outcomes. We know, as long as we've lived, that the more we try to control them, the more suffering we likely have in a lot of different ways. So Jesus is calling us, Paul is beckoning us, don't look horizontally. You can rejoice and not knowing the end before the beginning starts because you have peace with your Father if you believe in Jesus. It is the bedrock, your justification. Whether or not you believe Jesus is who he said he was and came to do the things that the Bible says he did. If you don't believe that, you will always be struggling with peace because you have no peace with the Father. But if you believe, this is the fuel for all other uh, dealings with circumstances that are outside of your control. Paul is beckoning us to remember the good news that Jesus has set us right with his Father. That's number one. Number two, Jesus' peace then clears the path with others. So not only have we cleared the path and reconciled with our Father, now horizontally the path can be cleared here as well. I don't know what your Thanksgiving was like. I didn't get to preach right after Thanksgiving, nor did I get to preach right before Thanksgiving. We were on vacation, and then it wasn't fair to be on vacation to then be preparing for a sermon while on vacation. And so I took those two weeks off, the last two weeks off, and so you've seen me since I've been with family and been hanging out with family on different levels. I got more family to come this week and then uh, coming up with Christmas. And I got to tell you, I am, um, I feel like a foreigner. Like I got, I was given a black sheep as a kid uh, for Christmas one year. And they were like, look, you're a black sheep of the family. And I was like, oh, that's fun. Um, also, not that I remember it or I'm still bitter or whatever. Um, but I'm actually beginning to think I am. In the best possible way, though. Because I, like, I got to tell you, I don't know that anybody else in my family understands Jesus the way that I understand Jesus, by God's grace. Not because I've dug in, not because I've done any hard work, because God has revealed it to me, and I've not earned any of that, but he's given it to me. And then more and more I lean into my walk with Jesus, the more and more there are many times where I just feel alone around that table. With a, with a few friends, but not everybody is seeing the, seeing the world the same way that I see the world. And that's... Really, I want that to be happening. I want my family to know Jesus. <laughs> and yet, they don't, many of them. 
There's an ideal, though, that especially this time of year, that we'll just gather around the family and we'll just we'll look past our differences and we'll cut that turkey and it's all going to be great. And that's yet sentimental and very shallow and it captures us. And so we sit down at that dinner table with our real family and reality sets in and the ideal world floats away. What do we do in that moment? If Jesus, if his peace can pave the way for others, what do we do in that moment? Well, first, we realize it's a false peace because Jesus did say, you remember Jesus saying this in Luke 12? Not, you don't have to go there. It's going to come up on the screen. Remember Jesus saying this? Because I forget that Jesus said this. When we talk about peace, Luke 12, 51 through 53, do you think that I've come to give peace on the earth? Hold up. You didn't come to bring peace on the earth? I thought that's what you said. I came to give you peace. Oh, actually... Not just any kind of peace. Do you think that I've come to give you peace on the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. And if you keep reading, what does that division look like? For from now on in one house there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided. Father against son and son against father. Oh, man, mother against daughter and daughter against mother. Okay, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law. Yeah, okay, that's to be expected, huh? And daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Apparently, there's no son-in-law against father-in-law. We're just fine. No, it's not the point. The point is, Jesus will divide even our core relationships. And that's okay. If there's one thing that's going to divide us, it's what we believe about what Jesus came to do on the earth. And that's the only thing that should divide us. Not politics or anything else. Only Jesus. So everything else is not worth dividing over. Only Jesus is worth dividing over. And here's the kicker. Only Jesus has the power to reconcile. What do I mean? Again, we keep reading in the Bible. We go to Ephesians chapter 2. Right? True peace is there. Um, and so let me just bring this out, not just to your, to your, 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 your table. Let's bring this out across the world, okay? There's a big war going on, and if you've heard about it, in the Middle East between Israel and Hamas and the Palestinian state, right? Um, Israel, this war has been going on for a long time. Long, long, long time. Um, like ever since Abraham. Uh, and you go, oh, I don't know about that. Well, I can tell you, like if you go back and read... Uh, Genesis 12, 16, 21, you start to see uh, some of the, the strife in, in Abraham's family, which includes Israel and Palestinian states and terroristic organizations. You start to see this with Isaac and Ishmael. Isaac was the child of promise. Of course, you know the story. We went through Genesis a couple of years ago. Maybe it was last year, I don't remember. But when we went through that story, right, we saw that the child of promise was Isaac. He came along when Abraham was 99. But about 13 years before that, right, about seven years after the promise, what you'll find is that Abraham and Sarah got a little impatient, and they went, hey, look, this isn't happening. We're in our 80s now, okay? I know God said we're going to have a son. doesn't look like it's going to happen. If you could consider my servant Hagar and go into her, and if you go into her, she might have a son. And she did have a son, and his name was Ishmael, the father of all Arabs, the father of all Muslims. That's where the Muslim nation comes from. But Isaac, the child of promise, is where the nation of Israel comes from. And these divisions happen all throughout God's lineage. Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. They were renamed at one point. 
Jacob is Israel. Esau is Edom, Edomites. Okay? These are, this is a long-standing conflict on the earth. And for all the conflict that we saw in our own country just a few years ago in 2020, between, I mean, just racial division like crazy, that has nothing compared to, number one, the civil rights era. And that has nothing compared to the civil war era. And that has nothing compared to the Jews versus the Gentiles for all time. Israel and everyone else. There's always been a racial divide that Jesus came to reconcile with one another. And you might be thinking, that is a long way to go to get to the fact that Jesus can establish our peace. But you must understand, it's still ongoing. You must understand, the peace that Jesus came to give us, the only answer isn't releasing hostages, it's repenting and believing in Jesus. He's the answer. He's the answer again and again. And I tell you that because Ephesians 2 says this. Ephesians 2, 13 through 16. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, that's Gentiles, that's you and me if you don't have Jewish lineage. You were once far off, right, have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. For he himself is our peace. He is the personification of, G of peace. He himself is our peace who has made us Jew and Gentile, both one, and has broken down in his flesh, his sacrifice, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. That would be God's family. He's breaking down all this hostility and he's bringing you together and therefore making peace and might reconcile both to us, uh, both us to God, uh, reconcile us both to God in one body. How does he do that? Through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So if he is able to do that, and he will and has. Again, it started, but it's not yet fulfilled completely. Right? We Gentiles are brought into that family, grafted in as Romans 9 through 11 talk about. We're in the family, praise the Lord. And yet, the strife has not ended forever and ever, as we see all over our news feeds. God has called us, ultimately, in this new, beautiful family, that if God can break down the dividing wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles, between black and white, by becoming the person of peace, and he can literally bring peace to the Middle East, which no government has ever been able to do. If he can do that, then he can sew up the broken pieces of your relationships. And you go, I don't think you understand what, what my dad did to me. Well, I don't think you realize the pain and suffering that my spouse has, called, has caused. I don't think you realize the disappointment that I have gone through. And you know what? You're right. I don't know what you've gone through. I want to know. You want to sit down with coffee and tell me? I would love to hear it. But I do know that Jesus knows exactly what you've gone through. More than that, I've never had my, my beard plucked out except for when my kids were younger and I had a beard and like Moses would just yank on my beard. I'm like, bro, that is not happening anymore. But I knew that Jesus' beard was plucked out. I know that he was punched a lot. I know that because Isaiah tells us that he was beaten beyond recognition as a man. 
Couldn't tell who it was. Couldn't tell if it was even a male or a female at that point. But he'd been beaten. I can tell you that he has suffered. And I can tell you that he has suffered for you. So all the sufferings that we have, he can sympathize with. He doesn't just like, I wonder what that was like. He knows exactly what it feels like. He knows exactly what it feels like when a spouse runs out because he called Israel the adulterous woman. He knows exactly what it feels like to be betrayed on the deepest parts of who you are. He knows. And if he can yet establish peace, peace between sinners and wanderers and rebels, that's you and me, and bring you into a family Surely then, the call to forgive others as Christ has forgiven you is not optional for us and is fueled by God's experience with us. And he's calling us to be ministers of reconciliation. He's calling us to sit down at the table with people we don't enjoy or like. To apologize where necessary. Or better yet, ask, where have I wronged you? That's what it means to be a minister of reconciliation. God knows exactly what it means to die for the undeserving, to forgive those who don't deserve it. Are you waiting for someone to forgive them if they would just, hmm? Jesus didn't with you. He didn't have that kind of heart when he died for you. Oh, if only they'll get their life right, then I'll die for them. no, no, no. While you were still ungodly, while you were still a sinner, he died for you. See, that's just point number two, and then I'm going to rush through point three and four. Are you ready? Number one, we have peace with God. We have peace then with others. Number three, this is the hope, right? That one day, Jesus' peace will one day cover the earth. Every major news channel wants you to turn into their message that the world is on fire and we will believe the lie that the next guy up has the, the garden hose that's going to put out the world's fire. Every four years, we buy into the lie that this guy or girl is going to put out the fire that's been raging for all these years. And it's not going to happen. Our hope is not yet in politicians or in gover governments of this world. That's false peace, friends. True and lasting peace comes out of Isaiah chapter 9. He says, for to us, a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. This is the great Advent uh, scripture, isn't it? He shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government. Not this government. So I know we love America. I know we love our countries of origin. But in order for Jesus' kingdom to come to the earth... All the other kingdoms are going to have to give way, including my own. My own kingdom can't stand where I get to control the outcome. All other kingdoms have to give away so that his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice, with righteousness from this time forth and forever. All the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. He will never lose zeal until this is accomplished. He will never lose a passion for this work that he has set out to do now for thousands of, year, of years. So praise the Lord that our God did not stay a vulnerable child, but grew up into a man because he became, and he was for all time, the Messiah, the King, who held shoulders high. That's what they beat him. 
Though they tried to take his strength away, he stood firm all the more. And in so doing, has the strength to have governments on his shoulders. And there he earned titles of wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. This is the source of our truest hope. It will come, y'all. That's the promise of Advent. It's going to happen. It has started, and yet it will be uh, finalized. We're in the already, and yet the not yet. And so how do we live right now in this tension-filled space, in this age of anxiety where we're trying to control the end before the beginning starts? Jesus' peace is available for you right now. If you'll notice, in John 14, 27, it says, that peace I leave with you, the verse right before that gives you the key to this peace. You ready for the key? But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, and he will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave you. You want to know why it's not a peace like the world gives you? Because the peace that the world will give you, they, get, they do take backs. They'll offer you some things, and then it just goes away. But the peace that Jesus leaves is a person. It's the Holy Spirit. It's God himself who governs you and is in you right now, if you would believe. And that's one of the beautiful benefits for believers that non-believers don't have. So if you're not a believer in this house, number one, repent. Me too. Come and believe trust that Jesus' works were way better than yours could ever be. His works on the cross truly can bring you reconciliation with a father who loves you. doesn't matter what your dad did here or didn't do here. doesn't matter what your mom did here or didn't do here. Your father loves you as evidenced by sending his son to die for you. Come to that reality first. And when you do, there is no second, baptiz second baptism, there's no varsity Christianity and JV Christianity. It's all varsity. And you get the whole measure of the Spirit in you. And that measure of the Spirit, God himself, will give you peace if you let him. Because Colossians 3 helps us understand we've got to give permission here. How do we live right here and right now? Yes, knowing things. Yes, believing things. But also, we have some work to do. Colossians 3 says this, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called, and in one body, and be thankful. The peace which Jesus came to give must be given permission to control your heart. The peace of Christ rule in your hearts, that he would control our hearts. Not circumstances controlling our hearts. So as we close, what would it look like for you to let Jesus' peace rule you? I don't know about you, but I often think, like, how is it that I'm not letting Jesus' peace rule me? And the check engine light goes on in my soul when I realize I'm off, and I have to go back and go, why am I off? Usually it's because I tried to control the outcome. Usually my peace is gone. The peace of Christ, which is God is calling me to let him rule. Usually because I've just, I've tried to control the outcome before things even started. 
but perhaps for you and me to remember that when you want to control the outcome of your circumstance, we remember that no matter the outcome, I have peace with our Father through Jesus' work. And how would that inform how you go through suffering, how you go through circumstances, your relationship with your family who's broken and others? How do you find peace when you find it difficult to forgive? I mean, how does looking at the future of, of this government that will know no end, where Jesus' kingdom will be established forever and fully, and there will be peace that has no end, how does looking at that government, how does looking at that promise help us navigate the here and the now? Because every day we're closer to that reality. Instead of controlling outcomes, friends, where anxiety will rule our hearts. Let us let the peace of Jesus control us by the presence and the person and the power of the Spirit as we continue to journey, not just to Christmas Eve, but until the great consummation, the wedding supper of the Lamb, where we all get to sit with our brothers and sisters forever, renewed and glorified, and we feast on God's goodness in His kingdom vats of mercy and grace forevermore. May we continue to look to Jesus as aided by the Spirit until we find that day. Let's pray. Our Father, we love you. Holy Spirit, would you help us remember what the Son has done? Lord Jesus, you control all things. May we believe it. Lord Jesus, you are sovereignly governing the outcomes of our lives right now. Would we believe it? When we get back diagnosis from the doctor, we have ailing pain that just will not go away. When we get laid off without any sort of severance or explanation. When we put all the hard work in and it hasn't paid off. When I can't make sense of up or down or left or right because I just cannot get out of this emotional pit. When the darkness surrounds us, would you dispel every darkness and bring the light? With your unending goodness, would you remind us that we have committed treason and yet you forgive us? That we've walked away as adulterers against you, and yet you have brought us near the true lover of our souls. That though we have sought for relief in this world through lesser means, and we've walked on the sidewalk to the narrow road for far too long, crutching our way to the end, you beckon us to more. You beckon us to true and lasting peace. May we believe that your rule your reign, your presence is good, is sovereign, and is attentive. We love you, Lord. Would you give us peace? In Jesus' name, amen.